Let's dig into God's word. There was a bank lender that wanted to settle all of his loans that he had given out before he retired. And so he calls all of the companies, all the individuals that he had given out loans to, and says, hey, look, I'm retiring, and I just want to clear my slate and, and have all of my loans that I've given out paid for and, and, and cleared before I retire. And there was one company left that he reached out to. In fact, it was the largest loan that he had ever given. It was $1 billion to a startup company. And so he calls the owner of this company uh, and says, hey, look, I'm retiring, uh, and, and I want to clear all of my loans that I've given out and uh, before I, uh, I, I retire, so can you come in and meet? So he came in to meet, and he said, look, you know, told him the whole thing. I want to clear all of these loans that I've given. You're the last one. Your company's the last one. Well, the owner of this company begins to tell this lender hey, man, uh, we, we've just really struggled with this new company. This has gone wrong. We've had supply chain issues. We've had this going on. Uh, all these things have happened. Uh, and he said, I, I'm, I'm going to pay you back, but I need some more time to pay you back. Well, move the compassion. This lender says, hey, man, don't worry about this loan. It's completely forgiven. It's completely wiped out. Don't worry about repaying it. It's pretty amazing, right? Rob, you probably wouldn't do that, would you? <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be a stunning thing, right? But here's what's even crazier. This man who owned this company then goes home, and he had let his neighbor borrow $3,000 to replace his roof from the storm that happened. And so he goes, the very day that he had his billion-dollar loan forgiven, and he goes to his neighbor and says, hey, I, I let you borrow this $3,000. You need to repay me now. In fact, he, he grabbed his neighbor and he pushed him up against the wall and he demanded that he repay the loan. And his neighbor fell to his knees and said, uh, I, I'm going to repay you. Just give me some more time to do so. Well, the man didn't want to hear that. In fact, threw him in jail and sued him for the entire amount. The very afternoon that his whole debt was forgiven. He demanded full repayment. This is the parable that Jesus told to Peter. When Peter asked and said, if my brother or sister sins against me, how many times do I forgive them? Seven times? Think about that for a minute. If your brother or sister in Christ came to you in one day and, and, and committed the same sin against you seven times in one day, it, it would get kind of old them coming time and time again that very day and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Jesus says, not seven times, but seven times 77. Today, we're going to learn how we should forgive, not because the other people deserve it, but because we didn't deserve it. We are to forgive as God has forgiven us. But far too often, we don't treat other people with the same forgiveness that we have received from God. Instead, we tend to take revenge and tend to hold grudges. And let's face it, we love to hold on to hurts. And if we can muster the strength to say, I forgive you, very rarely do we have the discipline to actually bury the issue. But it's this refusal to hold on to hurt that makes all of the difference. The writer of Hebrews tells us that this is how God has treated us in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. He says, For I, talking about God, will forgive their wickedness 
and remember their sins no more. And receiving this type of forgiveness means that we should be showing this type of forgiveness. Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And Jesus holds us to that. He says, but if we do not forgive others, then our Father will not forgive our sins, our transgressions, our debts. Well, today in our text, Saul is going to say, David, you are more righteous than I, for I have dealt, you have dealt well with me, and I have dealt wickedly with you. Today is week four of our study of this complicated, complex guy named David. David was a poet. He was a prophet. He was also an adulterer and a murderer. He was also a king and a man after God's own heart. And we've been kind of jumping around in the life of David and looking at different points and stories in David's life. We saw David uh, fight Goliath, and we, we learned that we could have courage to fight like David when we aren't trusting in our own strength and our own ability, but when we are trusting in God's strength. And we saw the friendship that David and Jonathan had, and we saw that we can learn to love like Jonathan when we put the needs of others above our own. And last week, we learned to worship like David. And we do that when we make sure that God alone is the object of our worship. And when we all join in together to worship, and when we make worship a lifestyle and not just an event that we attend on Sunday mornings. We need to learn to deal with our grudges. Grudges are the walls of bad feelings that separate people, uh, that split relationships. And so this morning, we're going to see how David used forgiveness to counteract and knock down the walls of grudges that Saul was putting up and to guard from a wall of grudge, a grudge wall to be put up in his own heart as well. Through David, he served Saul faithfully. But many times Saul found his success, David's success, threatening and ultimately tried to destroy David, taking his life. And so now in where we're going to be today, we come back in time when Saul is still living and Saul is still king. And on two separate occasions, Saul would summon David to come and play the harp for him and he would end up throwing a spear trying to kill David. Other times Saul would take an army, as we're going to see today, and hunt David down like an animal. Attempted kindness on David's part would be met with attempted murder. Saul was jealous of David, and David was on the run for his life. And in fact, David would stay on the run for his life until Saul died. David had his chances, though, to get even, to take revenge. Twice, Saul would chase him into the desert, one of which we're going to look at today, and the Lord would enable David to approach King Saul undetected. And here in 1 Samuel 24, where we'll be today, we find David and his men hiding in a cave. And it just happens to be the very cave that Saul goes in to use the bathroom in. So, if you have your Bibles, turn with me over to 1 Samuel chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back table. We'd love to give you one as a gift from us. 1 Samuel is near the front of the Bible. If you're looking for it, it comes after Judges and Ruth and right before 2 Samuel. 
We'll be in chapter 24 there in verse 1 as we get started. It's on the left-hand side of your Bible there, 1 Samuel 24. We'll have it up here on the screen as well. 1 Samuel 24, verse 1. It says, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedid. So Saul took 3,000 young men from all of Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. This would be a place to live, wouldn't it? The crags of the wild goats. <laughs> he came to the sheep pens along the way, and a cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. And David and his men were far back in the cave. And the men said, This is the day that the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. So then David crept up unnoticed and cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David was conscience stricken and having cut off the corner of his robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid it that I should do such a thing to my master. The Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Let's pause there for just a minute. So Saul is pursuing, hunting David down to kill him. Okay, And he's having a hard time finding him because David and his men were hiding in the cave, but they come to the cave, and Saul goes in by himself to uh, use the bathroom, okay? And, and he probably takes his robe off, and David is able to creep up and cut off a corner of his robe. David's men saw this as an opportunity from God, a sign from God, that the Lord had delivered Saul into David's hands. I said, David, this is your chance. Go and kill him. David must have been tempted. I mean, David had done no wrong towards Saul, but time and time again, Saul was threatened by him and, and, and tried to take his life, even though David did nothing to provoke him. So now was his opportunity. But God gave David a different heart. Showing amazing restraint, David crept up and cut off the corner of Saul's royal robe and then retreated. But even this caused David to feel guilty. And look at what David does next. Look at verse 8. It says, Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. And he said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day... You have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered me into, your, uh, into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay a hand on my Lord because, of his, because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but I did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs that you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds. So my hand will not 
touch you. Here's the amazing part of this. Saul was hunting David down to take his life. 3,000 men standing out to kill David and his men. An opportunity to get revenge shows up. David sees Saul come in to relieve himself. Exposed he would have been. No guards. And David was able to sneak in and cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And David even felt guilty for doing that. He felt terrible. So David calls out to Saul and he humbly bows before him, his would-be murderer. And that wasn't enough. Not only did he confront Saul and, and say, humbled himself and said, look, I've, I've cut off the, the corner of your robe, uh, you know, but, but take this in. But then he kindly confronts Saul with his wrongdoing. Notice at the end of verses 11 and 12 there. David gently rebukes Saul. I, I mean, he could have land blasted him, but he doesn't. He just gently reminds Saul of the consequences of his actions. He felt obligated to remind Saul the spiritual consequences of his jealousy and grudge might bear. Saul, at this point, has become so dis disillusioned with reality that he's making things up. He's listening to people lie about David. And David, instead of taking revenge, humbly, gently reminds Saul of the truth of the situation. That David had done nothing wrong, had not tried to harm Saul at any time. And now even when given a chance for revenge, David would not raise his hand against Saul. And this reality check, for the moment, brings Saul back to reality. And let's look at his response in verse 16. So when David had finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You, uh, you have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good that you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him give, get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way that you have treated me today. I know that you will surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. David's forgiving spirit mirrors the heart of God. Who has shown more restraint than God in dealing with his enemies? Who has done more kindness to those who have rejected him? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5 that while we were God's enemies, while we were still sinners and ungodly, that God demonstrates his own love for us in giving his one and only son, Jesus, to die. God holds back his wrath for thousands of years just to allow 
people more time to repent. Peter tells us that God is not slow about his promises, but he is being patient with us, not wishing any to perish, but all to come to repentance. God showers his blessings on both the just and the unjust. And we are never more like David than when we are forgiving other people. What's crazy about this story is that David had the opportunity to kill the man who was trying to kill him. And and he legally could have done that in the law, an eye for an eye. right? Here was this man trying to kill him, and instead of vengeance, David chooses forgiveness. David chooses love instead of eye for an eye. And then, not only does he not take vengeance, but then he confronts his attacker and he asks for forgiveness for taking a piece of his robe. David chooses not to harm Saul, even though it it may have seemed like God was placing Saul into David's hands. David knew that God would want him to forgive rather than to take vengeance. And the results of David's kindness was repentance on the part of Saul, at least for a short time. Saul realized that he was in the wrong in that moment, and he repents of what he's done. And friends, this is the hope of forgiveness. When we offer forgiveness to other people, the hope is that 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 forgiveness will lead them to repentance for their actions. But that's not always the case, is it? The wrongdoer doesn't always repent of what they've done. But that doesn't mean that we don't forgive anyway. You see, our forgiveness to other people isn't based on their response. But our forgiveness to other people is based on the forgiveness that we have received ourselves. And we don't deserve forgiveness. And so we give forgiveness because we have received it from God. No matter if those people repent or not. That's the hope. That's the hope that not only will our relationship with them be restored, but more importantly that their relationship with God will be restored. That's the hope of us offering forgiveness to other people. God forgives in hope that all men will come to repentance. God gave up his one and only son, Jesus, in hopes that everyone in the world would turn back to him, all the while knowing that not everyone will. Friends, God has shown us the example. David has shown us the example. We are to forgive others even if they don't repent. But our hope is that they will. David doesn't forgive Saul with strings attached. He forgives him, and then he moves on. And even though later Saul will once again pursue David and try to kill him, David still forgives. And friends, this is the attitude that we should have when others hurt us. We forgive even when that person isn't sorry. We forgive even when that person doesn't deserve it. So this morning, I want to give you four steps to really help us to think about true forgiveness. If we are going to learn to forgive like David, then we must first say yes to, or we must first say no to revenge. 
we must first say no to revenge. The, the first step for us to, to forgive like David, to, uh, to move towards true forgiveness, is for us to refuse to retaliate. Count to ten, scream in a pillow, walk away, do whatever it takes to not repay evil with evil. I want you to listen to what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12. If you remember, we looked at these the beginning of this chapter last week when we saw that Paul was telling us that we need to live lives of worship to God. And then the rest of the chapter, which we're going to dive into a little bit here today, tells us how we live lives of worship to God in the way that we interact with other people, in our relationships with other people, as part of our worship to God, living lives of worship to Him. And he says this in verse 17. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. He says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, if we are going to learn to forgive like David, then we must say no to revenge. We must not repay evil with evil. And even though we say no to revenge, we also must say no to grudges which is probably the harder part. We, we must say no to holding on to the hurt. It doesn't do good just to forgive somebody in the moment, but we also have to forgive them in the long term. Resisting the initial retaliation is step one, but then comes the hard work. Resisting bitterness and grudges and curses Man, this is tough. When we've been hurt by other people, we may muster up the strength to say, I forgive you, but not holding on to that hurt is even tougher. Refusing to use harsh words or to wish evil on another person. Paul says, if it's possible with you, any way that's possible with you, as far as it depends on you, not only say no to revenge, but say no to grudges. Live at peace with everyone. Friends, do you know who you can control? You can't control your kids, okay? You can't control your spouses. You can't control your neighbors or your coworkers, your friends. You can't control your enemies. You can't control people that have hurt you. The only person that you can control is the person that's looking in the mirror. Friends, you can choose how you will respond to other people, even though you can't control how other people are going to respond to you. Friends, all we can do is choose to forgive. All we can do is choose to say no to revenge. All we can do is choose to say no to holding a grudge and to forgive. We cannot control anyone else or even how they will respond to our forgiveness. You only can control how you will. So say no to revenge. Say no to grudges. Live at peace with everyone as far as it depends on you. Again, you can't control anybody else. All you can do is your part. (laughs) Some people still aren't going to let you live at peace with them. Notice how David doesn't call Saul names. He doesn't say, oh, you murderer. Look at you chasing me down. But he speaks respectfully to him. 
He is the king of Israel. He is God's anointed, even though David had already been anointed as the next king. And he makes a pledge with Saul to not take revenge and not to hold a grudge. Look at the last verse there of chapter 24 of 1 Samuel. So David gave his oath to Saul. And then Saul returned home and David and his men went up to the stronghold. Friends, if we want to learn to forgive like David, not only do we need to say no to revenge and no to grudges, but we must also say yes to blessings. This oath that David made, he would not be able to fulfill that oath to Saul. In fact, only just a few other times did he run into Saul, and most of the time Saul was trying to kill him. But after Saul's death, when David becomes king, David has an opportunity to say yes to blessings, even though his enemy tried to take his life. Saul's grandson, Mephibosheth, was still living, even though he had fallen and become crippled. And David, after he was king, invites Mephibosheth to come to his home. And for the rest of Mephibosheth's life, he would sit at David's table as one of his sons. David not only said no to revenge, David not only said no to holding a grudge, but David said yes to giving a blessing to somebody who had hurt him. He shows blessings to Saul's grandson. David also blessed Saul with respectful words, calling attention to the truth and, and warning him of the consequences and reminding him of he must have to, have to deal with God for his actions. True forgivers wish well on others, desiring to see them restored to God through repentance. And even we pray for this end. I want you to look at what Paul tells us in verse 14 of Romans 12. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Don't just ignore them, but bless them. Bless them and do not curse. Now we have a hard time forgiving someone that has cut us off in traffic, let alone that has actually brought pain and hurt to us, right? But our brothers and sisters around the world are living out this verse every single day. Our brothers in India, like Dr. Ajay Law from Central India Christian Mission, in fact, are, are facing persecution daily and they are asking now for prayers for their local government. People in their local government have raised up to try to stop and destroy their ministry. And so we ask that you continue to keep them in their prayers. But Dr. Ajay shared a story a few years ago about another brother and his wife who went to an area that was unreached for the gospel. And I'm going to leave their names out intentionally. But they went to an area in central India. And there the people had never heard the name of Jesus before. This area was filled with Hindu extremists. People had never heard the gospel. This man was beaten several times and was stopped by these same Hindu extremists. Him and his wife did not leave the area. 
In fact, for another year, they remained and preached the gospel to a group of over 50 people who ended up giving their lives to Christ. They were attacked many times. One time, a group showed up when they were meeting and took this man and his wife off to a remote jungle. They said, look, you can easily save your life by signing these papers that you hate Jesus Christ and that you'll leave the Christian faith and the ministry and join our Hindu extremist group. They would not sign. The extremists said that we'll cut your hands off if you don't sign, and yet they did not compromise. And finally, the extremists tied the man to a tree and brutally attacked his wife in front of them. Both were screaming, and thankfully a a group of people heard their screams and came and rescued them. Several months later, this man called Ajay with some amazing news and said, at our New Year's Day worship gathering, we baptized ten people. And Ajay said, man, that's amazing, but man, the last time we talked, you said you baptized 40 people. So, I mean, ten's great, but... I mean, you you, you baptized 40 people. What's so amazing? And so the man went on to say that out of those 10 people, three of them were of the men that had attacked them that day. And he told these men that we aren't enemies. We are now brothers. He further explained that every time that he and his wife saw these men in the market, they would keep saying, God bless you. God bless you. And finally, these men came to their house again and said, why are you blessing us? After we attacked you. And so this man had an opportunity to share with these men the good news of Jesus. He was able to lead three of them to Christ. So don't just say no to revenge. And don't just say no to holding a grudge. But say yes to giving a blessing to those who hurt you or attack you or persecute you. And finally... If we want to learn to forgive like David, we also must say yes to kindness. To model the love of God, true forgivers do good to those who hurt them. This produces two powerful effects. First, it creates in in those people a sense of shame of the things that they've done wrong, which hopefully will lead them to repentance. But the second is that it overcomes evil By breaking the chain of hurtful actions. Saying yes to kindness is the ultimate weapon. Listen to what Paul tells us in verse 19 of Romans 12. He says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. I want you to think about the story of David and Saul. This is what David did, right? David didn't take revenge in his own hand. Even when the opportunity presented itself, David said no to revenge. And he left room for God's wrath. Verse 20 says, on the contrary, this is where the kindness comes in. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil. With good. Friends, if we are going to learn to forgive like David, not only do we need to say no to revenge and grudges, but we must say yes to blessings and kindness. 
If we see those who have hurt us or attacked us or persecuted us or uh, been mean to us or, or whatever, if we see them hungry, feed them. If we see them thirsty, give them something to drink. Don't repay evil with evil, but overcome evil with kindness, with goodness. I want you to think about maybe some of the situations that you have going on in your life right now. Maybe there's some people that have done things to hurt you, have sinned against you. What is God calling you to this week? What do you and I need to do this week to become forgivers like David? Forgiving is not easy. It's hard. And it hurts. It's difficult. Because forgiving means that like David, we must humble ourselves and do what has been done for us. But the payoff of the pain and the hardship of forgiving is worth it. Relationships can be mended. Pain can be healed. Joy can come. Let's pray for strength to do what we should. And let's learn to forgive like David forgave. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the example of David. We thank you that he was willing to forgive Saul, even though Saul didn't deserve it, even though Saul was trying to kill him. Father, we thank you that David chose to forgive. Father, help us to have the strength to do the same. Help us to forgive, not as we think others deserve it, Help us to forgive, not when others actually say that they're sorry, but Father, help us to forgive as you have forgiven us. Remind us that while we were your enemies, while we were ungodly sinners, you demonstrated your love for us by sending Jesus to die for us. Father, help us to say no, not only to revenge, but to grudges and help us to say yes to kindness and to blessings to those who have hurt us. Give us the strength. Give us the strength to forgive like David. Father, we thank you for the ultimate example that you have given us in this, in your son Jesus. We ask all of this in his name. Amen. God has forgiven us through his son, Jesus. Look at what Paul tells us in Romans 5. He says, you see at just the right time, when you were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will a righteous person, uh, will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died. For us, God has shown us how to forgive others because while we were still sinners, Jesus died for you.
Man, I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but I want you to hear that this morning. God loves you. Even though you don't deserve it, because I don't. God loves you so much that Jesus died for you. Jesus loves you so much. And he has died to forgive your sins and to give you life. But he's calling you today. To come if you've never put your trust, your faith in him. To come and do so. Come and repent of those sins. Come and meet him in baptism. Guys, I'm going to be out in the lobby if you're ready to make that decision or you want to talk about what that means. For those of us who already have, who are already followers of Jesus, this time of communion is a time for us to remember the price that God has paid to forgive our sins. The bread reminds us of Jesus' body that he paid for us. The cup reminds us of his blood that he poured out for us. So take this time. Maybe, maybe you're, you're holding on to some grudges. Maybe there's some people that you haven't forgiven that during this time now you need to uh, ask God to forgive you for not forgiving them and you need to make a commitment to go and to forgive them. Use this time. Repent of your sins. And let's not only say no to revenge and grudges, but let's say yes to blessing and kindness as we remember the blessings and the kindness that God has shown us. So when you're ready, let's partake together. If you didn't grab communion on your way in, you can raise your hand, and we've got a couple guys that will bring that to you at your seat. When you're ready, let's remember together. I'll be in the lobby if you need somebody to pray with.